Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Well, good morning. I'm just curious, by show of hands, how many people arrived at church today in a car? I'm just curious, okay. How many arrived in a canoe? Just checking, just checking. It's just been that way lately, right? <laughs> well, either way, however you got here, I'm glad you're here. I have the pleasure of uh, introducing somebody who's with us today. Um, probably doesn't need much of an introduction around here anymore, but it's worth doing because when I first met Bishop Harris, Bishop Darrell Harris, I, I think it was several years ago at a ceasefire, if I remember right. And you know how you meet those people? And like within about two minutes, as you watch everyone else in the room, you realize, okay, this guy's at the center of everything. You ever get that sense, right? Like anything anybody needs to get accomplished, this guy's involved. And they know he's somebody that's reliable, dependable, and can bring the answers to. I didn't know to that degree at that time just how much. Because not only is, is Bishop Harris the pastor of Total Life Christian Ministries, um, along with you know, his, his wife, Waitrice, um, joins him in that and serves there. But then in addition to that, uh, he's part of the Osborne Business Association, which is why we often cross paths with Osborne-related stuff. Matrix uh, Human Services, the Matrix Center, we've been very familiar with, again, serving that community. Uh, 482 Forward is another organization that he is involved, and these are all leadership roles that he holds. Uh, the National Organization for Victims and Assistance of Victims. The Ceasefire Initiative in Detroit, which has been monumental in Detroit, and I know Randy's mentioned that at times, about connecting um, uh, legal and, and law enforcement and the political realms and the spiritual realms with the churches to connect for peace in the city and prosperity in the city. The Faith-Based Coalition of Detroit, which is, again, where I met him at one of those meetings talking about ceasefire. And somehow in the midst of all this, uh, he uses his spare time to be a husband and a father. Not sure where he finds it, but all of this together uh, makes a man of real wisdom, and I think we're going to uh, have a treat today. So would you put your hands together, kindly welcome our good friend, Bishop Daryl Harris. I was wondering if you could also join me with that praise for your wonderful pastor, even in his absence, Pastor Randy Tonka. Being a senior pastor, you know how scary it is to leave someone in your pulpit while you're away. <laughs> and so I count this as a great honor for him to select me to be here this morning while he is away. Of course, I know he has wonderful staff, Pastor Mickey and so many others, but still, being that senior pastor, it's nothing like being away while someone else is there because you don't know what you're going to come back with. You don't know what you're going to come back to. 
Uh, but I am so honored uh, for that. I'm always amazed when they read that list. I'm like, I do that? Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, we just want to really be there in the service for God. Uh, and my wife, she didn't come uh, today because she's back at uh, our church bringing the word this morning. And she's with them. So she allowed my brother Perry to be here with me today. She said, well, he can go, but he's the only one. Everybody else comes back. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, definitely grateful for her and for my family. Uh, I need all of your prayers. My daughter is getting married this year. I, I don't know. Don't clap. No, don't, don't do any of that. Don't do it. I didn't tell you guys that for that reason. I asked for prayer, not claps. I need prayer, okay? <laughs> Uh, many of you know I have uh, twins, a son and a daughter, um, and she's the one that stepped out. My son's like, Dad, you're not having any problems out of me. <laughs> not going that route right now. But my daughter, she's graduated from Northwestern University, and she's back in the city, and this young man has been courting her for a few years now. And I guess she felt like since he survived the pandemic with her, uh, <laughs> maybe he deserved his shot. It's a nice young man. I've met him, uh, but I still need prayer. Amen. Fathers understand what I'm saying. All the fathers, you understand what I'm saying, right? Daughters are a little bit different than sons. So uh, most certainly uh, just looking forward to prayer in that. Let's go to the word of God today. I'm so grateful to be here with you all. I keep saying, you all must really, really like me, and I'm so happy about that. I'm like, I get to go back again? Yes, right? Um, so let's go into the Word of God today. I'm going to ask a favor, though. Anyone in here between the ages of 11 and 26, between the ages of 11 and 26, will you stand for me? Now, some of you, now, now some of you don't stand up. Now, we all know that you're probably a little bit older. Towards it, right? Okay. I want you to pay special attention to what I'm saying today because I'm really talking and I really want to make an impact on your generation. Your generation Z, I really want you to hear what I'm saying today because I know that there's been a lot of negative things said about this generation. You guys are rebellious. You guys are, <laughs> you guys don't stand for anything. You guys just, you're just destructive, you know. <laughs> I, I hear all these things going on and I'm like, I think everybody has it wrong about your generation. I think it's your time. And so I want to do something I want to just say this, and the Holy Spirit really has been talking to me all week about this. I want to, before even ministering the word, I want to take a moment. I want to apologize to you on behalf of generations before you, the church before you. So we didn't give you what you needed. And I want to apologize for that. We didn't prepare you for the time that you're in right now. I'm hoping that my apologies and that and leaving you out there and that maybe that sense of abandonment, I'm hoping that you'll accept this apology and that you'll hear my words today 
because your role is so important and so critical in this time. We can't get it done without you. So I want you to believe. Believe again. It's not all lost. I just need you to believe again. And I wanted to say that to you all. Afterwards, I want to definitely make sure that I pray with you all. I just so believe there's been a burden on my heart all week long. And I just wanted to make sure to say that here. We love you. We've not given up on you. And we want you to not give up on us. Because you're, you're the people of the day. And we need your help. Would everyone that's not standing right now, would you celebrate God for Generation Z? Thank you. All right, you all may be seated. <laughs> Thank you very much. Let's jump right into the scriptures here. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 reading from the New Revised Standard Version. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come up on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's continue reading. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven. Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Today, I want to talk to you. Since some of you, you know, I saw you didn't lift your hands when you talked about drove in in a car, canoe. Some of you swam here. So we're going to get you warmed up today. I want you to touch three people and tell them this don't wait on me. You're about to mess up. You're about to, you're about to wait. You're like, you're about to wait on me. I just said, don't wait on me. You're about to wait on me. Like, is he going to say something else? Don't wait on him for what? Right? Don't wait on me. I don't think anybody would disagree. Turbulent times we are in. Seems that everything is up in the air. People don't know which way to go. People are confused. People are hurting. People feel the destructive nature in the air. It is like we are in those perilous times that the apostles spoke about would come. And although we know that these times are turbulent, we know that these times are detrimental. I don't think that anyone would disagree with me that we've seen similar to this before. We've survived this before. Every generation that has, that was not standing today, even if it weren't this bad, because we have a tendency to label the next generation as worse than us, right? And we'll do it 
even though we'll brag about the hardships of our generation. <laughs> we'll talk about how, you know, to Gen Z and to the millennials, we'll talk about how we had to walk to school in the snow <laughs> with, 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 with only a pair of socks, and the socks had holes in them, and the snow was 25 feet high, right? And we'll tell them these stories, and then we'll tell them, you're the worst generation ever, right? Your hardships are just terrible. But we know that there is an overcoming to every hardship that we've gone through. And so it is not uncommon to minister from this book of Acts chapter 1 because it is on the backdrop of a turbulent time. Jesus has been born into the world. He was raised as a child, grew up in outer parts of Egypt, and then wandered his way back to Jerusalem so he could do the will of the Father. He is there. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's promoting the kingdom of God. He's doing the ministry that he's been put here to do. And then he reveals his purpose that all of that, although he was glad to be able to do it, was not the reason he was here. He was here to do the work that no one else on this earth could do. He was here to do the work of the cross. And it was a wonderful work for us. Why? Because he didn't die on the cross for his sins. He was perfect. He was awesome. He was God. He didn't have any flaws in him. He had no mistakes about him. So anything he did in the work on the cross, he did not do it for himself. He did it for us. And after this work of the cross, he literally gives over his life, says that you cannot take my life from me. I mean, it's one of the most... Uh, some of my, and people in, in my neighborhood, they would say it's one of the most gangster things you could do, you know. It was one of those things that he just said that was amazing. Like, you don't take my, I mean, imagine standing in front of somebody that's, that's getting ready to kill you and you just say something like, you don't take my life from me. I lay it down freely. I mean, I don't even know how you could execute a man after saying something like that. Like, what am I to do with you, you know? And he, and he, and he tells him, he says, hey, you know, I lay my life down freely. And in that one statement, you begin to see the foundation of where all Christians are supposed to reside from this spiritual power because we really don't ascertain the full uh, uh, weight of everything that we have in this new life until we are willing to say nothing in my present life is worthy to hold on to if I can't have the new life experience. Nothing is worthy to keep up with. Nothing will have anything to do with success in my life if I'm not willing to pay the cost. And at any given moment, I'm ready to lay this down so that that newness of life can be experienced on the inside of me. And all of this is taking place. He leaves the cross and spirit. He goes down into the very pit of hell. And while he's down there, he just walks in like he owns the place. Well, I guess he is the creator, right? And he, he owns the place and he kicks the door into Satan's office and he walks right by him. Satan's got his feet kicked up on the desk and he just knocks his feet off the desk and walks over behind him. And he just grabs the keys to hell in the grave, snatches them off the wall and says, I'll be right back. But I'm commandeering this space. And then he goes over 
over. He starts setting captives free, and dead in Christ begin to rise. And he says, I'm going to stay down here for another three days, another couple days, and I'm going to do some more stuff down here. And then after the third day, he rises from the dead, and he's walking around amongst people so that the whole world can see that even though this is the man that they crucified on the cross and they watched him die, he is now walking around our midst, and he still preaches to the kingdom of God. That's the power he's operating in. That's powerful. Now we find him in this story. He's up on the mountain. His followers are there with him. And it's amazing to me how we can be in the presence of God's greatness and still miss the moment. Still miss what's taking place right in front of us. And that's what some of us do. We miss the moment. You've got to ask yourself, how many moments are you going to allow to escape you where God is trying to get you to see his magnificent presence, his magnificent glory, and all that he has that is so beneficial to your life because you're focused on the wrong thing? While Christ is standing there on the mountain and he's getting ready to clear his throat because he's about to make his exit and he wants to drop something profound on them. But before he can do it, because they have missed the moment of his presence being there, they ask him a question that just disturbs the whole moment. Have you ever been in a special time where you're feeling special and your heart is open and great things have happened and you're having a beautiful day and then someone just says something that just destroys it all? (laughs) You're like, how can you say that when I'm here? And they ask him a question. They say, now that you're back, is it now time for us to reclaim the kingdom of Israel? Jesus is like, what? (laughs) First of all, let's talk about None of your business. (laughs) Let's talk about that first, right? I mean, because essentially that's what he says. He says that you're worried about time that has nothing to do with you. Why are you worried about the time? It has nothing to do with you. That's reserved in my father's hand. And Jesus didn't say, and I've heard a lot of people say this, that, well, even even Christ didn't know, you know, the time of all things or whatnot, because he said only his father knows. He said only his father has authority. He set those things in his authority. He says, I could find out from my father when all things are going to end. But even when I find out, it's not for you to know. Because if you knew when certain things are going to end, you probably would live your life your own way all the way up to the end, about 24 hours before then. <laughs> then you would come to church. <laughs> come on, Gen Z, I'm talking to you now. You know I'm talking to you. <laughs> you would just go crazy, right? Some of you millennials too, you know what I'm talking about. You would just go crazy, you go nuts, and then you try to wait up until the last moment. And it is the reason why he says I, it's not for you to know. Because sometimes what will happen to you is once you start figuring out timing, you think you have time to wait. 
Once you start figuring out timing, you think you've got time to wait. If, if God told you exactly when the death angel was going to visit you, you would think that you have time to do everything else and wait on your salvation and wait to do things in your life. And that's why when people do get those prognoses and diagnoses from doctors that they only have this much time to live, they start planning all the time before it, leading up to that point. Now, they were still sick when they didn't know that they were sick, and they were still living how they wanted to live. But all of a sudden now, I've got a bucket list. And I don't know if I'm going to survive the bucket list or not. However, I want to put these things into play because as long as I know the time I have, I think I have time to wait. Jesus said those things are not in your hand. That's not for you to know. And he says your focus is on the wrong thing. I've been preaching and teaching to you all for three and a half years, Jesus says, about the kingdom of God being at hand. And you are asking me, after I come back from the dead, after I be crucified for you, <laughs> after I've gone to the cross, I've gone and beat up Satan, I've done all of this stuff, I've been talking to you about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and you're asking me the great miracle standing in front of you, offering you life, what are we going to do about Israel? <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Because, see, you think that in order for Israel to have a rise again, that the Romans, who have kept them in the tyranny of their oppression, has to be destroyed. So now, here it is again. You think that in order for my will to be done, that other things and other people have to be put down. So you've been waiting, not for the kingdom of God, you've been waiting for me to come to put things in order so that you can feel comfortable going back to claim your own kingdom. And I feel like that's a lot of what's happening in the world today, especially with the church. We're, we're waiting for one thing to go down before we think another thing can rise in God. So we feel like we need the politicians to be right, and, and we need, we need the, the pandemic doctors to be right, and we need the policemen to be right, and we need all these other things to be right before we can really see a rise in the kingdom of God in our lives. Many churches are falling dormant, and people have grown tired, and some people are just downright lazy. They don't want to do it. They're like, hey, tell me the one thing that I need to do in order to make this thing right. What do we need to conquer? What do we need to tear down? We've got to get everybody doing this. We've got to get everybody on the same page. But I want you to know that the kingdom of God has never waited. It's never waited on situations to be right. It's never waited on circumstances to be in the right place or the right place. It's never waited for the right people to be in office. The kingdom of God cares less about the kingdom of Israel. He cares about the kingdom of God and God's will. But because they were so focused on that, and that's why I said I really want to talk to Gen Z because you guys are the ones now. You're out there now, and you might feel disappointed, and, and, and you might feel enraged, and, and you feel like we need to tear everything down and just start all over again. And, and, and why? Because we feel like in order for God to really be risen and really be seen, we got to take all of this evil out of the world. But that's not how we're going to do it. We're not going 
going to do it by restoring Israel. We're not going to do it by building up the physical things. We're not going to do it because you find the right person to marry. We're not going to change the world because of any of those things. There's only one thing that's going to change the world that God has selected, even in the most turbulent of times. You know what he says? He says it right in that answer. He says, it is not for you to know the time that's in the Father's authority, but you will receive power once Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what that power is going to do in your life is not here to make you a doer. It's not here to concentrate and focus you on what to do in order to re-strengthen the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of man. What it's here to do is change who you be. It's amazing to me because he says, you're going to be witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses all over the world. But he never talks about what you're going to do. He just says who you're going to be. It's amazing because no one has had a conversation with their car about what the car does. <laughs> we know what the car be, and so therefore we let what the car does come from what the car be. But here we do things opposite. We're so focused on what to do that we forgot Jesus didn't die for us to do something. He died for us to be someone. He died for us to be his creation. He died for us to be his believers. And in this one scripture, he says, all I want you to do is to be my witness. Would you look at someone and tell them, just be his witness? Now, again, our minds... So I had to give you something to do because it's strange to talk to you about being because we're so do-oriented. And that's what's happening in the world today. There's a certain space that you can reach to where you begin to operate and function like a cyborg, where you just come to church because it's Sunday. Or you pray because something's wrong and you want to see something different. You're so busy trying to use your place in God to rebuild Israel, the natural kingdom, your kingdom, your legacy, what you're going to leave behind, what you're going to do with your house, what you're going to do with your job. You're so busy doing that that you're missing the fact that God wants to impact who you are. He wants you to be the witness. It is witnessing him that he selected personally as God to say this is how I am going to fix Turbulent times. He could have said, I'm going to send you power of the Holy Spirit so that he can give you the power to do a whole bunch of stuff. And because it's very easy to go out and convince the world that Jesus is alive if you could grab Jesus by the hair and pull him down and say, hey, this is him right here. This is the guy I've been talking about. Everybody would believe you. Be very easy if you would just go out there to the Detroit River and just start walking across and just leave Detroit and go over to Canada. I mean, people see you on the news, they'll say, yes. Whose name do you do that in? You say, Jesus. And they say, yes, I believe him. It's very easy if you could clear out a hospital because you go inside the hospital and you just lay hands on every bed that your shadow falls by and people just begin to jump up off ventilators and off the bed. And this would be a wonderful thing. People say, yes, I believe that Jesus. 
But those are not the things that God chose to respond in the earth to turbulent times. So no matter how much we fight, no matter how much we war, no matter how much we protest, no matter how much we fuss and argue and try to get things to be the way that we want them to be because we're trying to build our own man-made kingdoms back, no matter how hard we do that, it's not going to work because there's only one thing that God has selected to respond to turbulent times. It is what I refer to as the uprising, the revolution, not the revolt, the revolution. The children of Israel wanted a revolt. Jesus said, I didn't come to give you a revolt. I came to give you a revolution. I came to change your hearts and your minds so that you'll be someone different. And when the world witnesses you being different in the midst of what they're doing, they have to note that the only way you can stand in your difference is that you have Holy Spirit in you. That's why I love Generation Z. They are rebellious. They don't just take what you say <laughs> at face value. They don't trust nothing. <laughs> you got to show them or they're going out the door. <laughs> and we've been so busy as a church telling them that that's the wrong way to be that we didn't realize that God made it that way because that's the world that they now live in. They live in a world where it's hard to trust anything. It's hard to trust the news, hard to trust the politicians. It's hard. So what we should have done, instead of tearing them down while they were trying to tear everything else down, <laughs> what we should have done is just said, you know what, let me show you how to use your superpower." so that you can really make a difference the way God wants you to make a difference. And how is that? By being a witness to him, that no matter what kinds of ways that the world comes up with, they can't outlive the expression of who God is in this moment, in this time. So Jesus says, you're going to be witnesses. And it was so much a bomb he dropped that he made it his last statement. I mean, after he said it, he just had the audacity to just go up into the sky. Just, I mean, like, you just going to leave on that note? <laughs> I mean, you just got a straight, got a little whoop in there, and you're not just going to float away? Like, that doesn't seem right. And he's like, yeah, I've said everything I need to say. You guys have everything you need. I know I told you Holy Spirit is going to come. Because read, read the scripture clearly. He did not tell them to wait on Holy Spirit. He just said, Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Right? Which means the time could have been right then while he was floating up. But because they were so captivated by what he was doing, they just stood there and watched him go up. They're like, okay, Holy Spirit, who's this guy? <laughs> Never heard of him. <laughs> I mean, we just got used to you. you know, you're, you're leaving, Holy Spirit. And so they're standing there, and he's, they're like, okay, you're telling us who to be, but you're, we're so do-driven that we don't know what to do. So we need you to tell us what to do so we go do it, and then we can be what we did, right? Because... <laughs> We're confused, Lord. We don't know which way to go, right? And so he just floats up, and then you see 
the two men dressed in white apparel, standing there to hear the same message that they did, but something registered differently. And so while they were gazing up, the two men said to them, hey, why are you just standing here? Why are you waiting on him? He's already given you everything that you need to make the next move. What kind of doubt are you having in you about what he just said that makes you feel like you're not ready to move in the way that he wants you to move or you're not equipped to do what it is that he wants you to do when none of this is about doing anyway. It's about who you are. Why aren't you standing in your character right now? He just said, Holy Spirit comes up on you. Why are you just standing here looking up instead of just saying, Holy Spirit will come up on me so I can be this witness that he called? It's because they were so devastated by doing so much that they forgot that God is calling us to be, not just to do. I remember once when I was young, my mom sent me out the house because I come from the generation, you know, I come from Gen X where we still had bedtimes and still had to be in the house before the street lights and all that kind of stuff. I know millennials, y'all don't understand none of the stuff I just said. I get it, <laughs> right? Y'all like bedtime? What's that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? And so my mother sent me, she said, you know your brother is, go get him and tell him he need to come home. It's time to come in the house. And I said, Yes, ma'am. And I grabbed my stuff, happy to be the enforcer, to deliver the message to my brother. And she was right. I knew exactly where he was. He had sneaked over to the young girl's house. That's a story for another time, not right now. And I went over, and they were sitting there and watching television and everything. And I went in, and I said, hey, man, mama said, <laughs> yeah, come on right now. It, does, it brings me a certain pleasure to embarrass you in front of your girl. But I'm telling you right now. <laughs> Mama said, <laughs> you better come on home. And he said, in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. And he was the older brother. So they were sitting there watching TV. So I sat down on the couch next to him. I'm like, Mama said, you know. And I sat there, and time went by. I got into the show, and I don't even know what they were doing. I got into the show, and I'm watching it. And before I know it, he's like, okay, come on. We can leave now. And we get home, and my mom is standing in the doorway, <laughs> furious. I'm thinking I got a pass. After all, I did what she told me to do. I went and told my brother that my mom said, you better come home right now. But I was confused because my mom was mad at both of us. And I was trying to figure out, why are you mad at me? I mean, I did what you told me to do. She said, I sent you down there to go get him, to tell him to come home. And then you didn't come back. What were you doing? I said, oh, I was waiting on him. I still got a whooping. Okay. <laughs> yes. But that's the point. <laughs> I got in trouble because I knew what to do, but I didn't do it because I was waiting on him. And he didn't get me into trouble. I got me into trouble because I knew the right thing to do. It was the time to do it, but I allowed myself to wait on someone. I wanted to tell you all 
Time is not a luxury for us to wait. We do not have to wait for Jesus to come back before we start doing what he left us here to do. And I know many of you in here right now, you're, you're, yes, you serve God. You love Jesus. Yes, you do. But I believe there are some of you in here that's afraid to take that next step because you think you can't do it alone. You think you have to wait on something extra coming from him in order to do it when he's saying, I've left you everything you need to be who you need to be in me. And once you discover who you are in me, everything that you need to do will come from who you are. You are a son of God. It pains me to even call you Gen Z. That's what the world calls you because they're not aware of your change. They're not aware of who you really are. They are judging you by the things that you've done, but they don't know that the things you've done doesn't come from an authentic place of who you really are because once you wake up and realize who you are in Christ, everything that follows that, you can only be the car that you've been designed to be. Everything else that you're doing is going to begin to fall off. It's going to begin to go away. And now you can stand as a pure witness, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's happening with politicians, no matter what's happening here or there, you will realize that your rising in the kingdom of God is not settling around the things you do. It's settling around the child of God you've been called to be. And I just want to tell you, and I'm trying not to get too excited, <laughs> but I just want to tell you, you are called to be much greater than anything that you can do or that's been done to you. There is a calling on your being. God is saying, I want you to reflect me. That's what a witness does. A witness doesn't always open their mouths. A witness doesn't always have a track in hand. Sometimes you just have to stand in the midst of everything that's going on around you and just be the child of God. You've got to love even though you're surrounded by hate. You've got to forgive even though you're surrounded by evil. You've got to show mercy even though you're surrounded by the merciless because that's what it means to be a witness for Christ. It's not always about fighting the power that be. It's not always about picking up a sword. Sometimes it's about remaining in that space and allowing Holy Spirit to work in you where you stand strong and look whatever has happened to you and around you. Just look it right in the face and still stand on, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the prince. There is nothing that can happen to me that can change who I am. Things can happen to change what I do, but things can't happen to me to change who I am. And I don't have to wait on anything else. I can call out now and say, Father, Holy Spirit is who I need in my life so that I can be that powerful witness to help change the world as the tool that you selected in turbulent times. I'm going to leave you with this.
again, especially to Gen Z. This is super important. God allowed your generation to be here because this is a radical time. But you have to be grounded in spirit and truth so that your radicalism is not to rebuild man-made kingdoms. You have to have a foundation that says, I know in whom I believe and in whom I trust. And no matter what they teach me at universities or what they try to infiltrate into my schools, it doesn't matter. Holy Spirit is in me, and I'm going to stand strong. Because one thing that you know about this generation, you guys will stand. You will stand. And I want to pray that Holy Spirit empowers you, that you will give God this opportunity to expand your heart and your mind, that you will learn the word of God, that you'll believe in Christ, that you'll trust in him, and that you'll use that strength to be able to stand strong so when those times come, you can stand and not faint. Will you all stand with me? Lord, I feel your presence so strongly. I know what you want us to do. I know what time it is. I'm just asking if you would allow us this opportunity to stand with you. That you will just show us and remind us that there is nothing else to wait on. We don't have to wait for Jesus to come back before we start doing. We need to do while we're waiting for him to come back. Would you lend us Holy Spirit? Will you Will you place him in each and every one of us, especially for these younger generations, oh God? They need you so much. Prepare us, the ones before them, with the knowledge and the wisdom and the discernment to lead and to guide and give them an open heart that once again, they'll trust you and they'll trust your word and they'll believe our testimonies. Because the world needs you right now, God. The world needs you like never before. And we don't want you to come back while we're still gazing upward. We want you to come back and find that we've made the way ready by using everything that you've given to us to occupy till you shall return. I pray you'll place your angels all around us. <laughs> I pray you'll birth in us a reminder that for as much as we have done, that it's not about what we've done or what we're going to do. It's about who we are. 
when we stand before you in all fullness, you're not going to call us by what we've done. You're going to tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. It's going to be about who we are. Holy Spirit, help impact us with who we are. That you may be glorified in all that we are and all that we do. And I thank you in Jesus' name.